All right. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? So Steve is uh, still out at the uh, retreat this morning, uh, wrapping up the time with the uh, with the guys, and so he um, asked me to fill in for him. For those of you that uh, don't know me or have not met me, my name is David Weed, and I'm one of the um, uh, elders here at the church, serve with the uh, the elder team. And we're continuing uh, in a series that, uh, that Steve uh, has been in, and uh, it's pretty much um, for today we're going to be looking at the topic of, of what does it mean to bear fruit in tough times. And, uh, you know, when Steve asked me, he said, uh, you know, we're in this, we're in this uh, series, would you be willing to, uh, to fill in for me? This is, you know, a couple months ago, he says, you know, I'm going to be out at men's retreat on this date, so would you be willing to fill in? And I said, sure, you know, just get me the, the title. And, uh, and this is the title. Now, Steve has a habit of, of assigning me difficult messages. Uh, he loves doing that. So uh, I, I went back through my kind of archive of messages that I filled in for Steve on, where he's like, here, uh, d- do this message, I got to go. And, and one of them was, uh, was this. Um, God's view of sex, the audience was junior high students. Their parents were off the charts overprotective. And were absolutely sworn that their junior hires were never in their life going to have a sexual impulse ever. So, and they were all, the overprotective parents are going to be there in the meeting with me. And I remember I said, this is the topic and all the junior hires, of course, they just popped right up like, oh, this is going to be good. You know, and all the parents just glared at me the entire time. So, uh, so I made it through that one. Uh, then he said, I got another one for you. I want you to teach on why does God let bad things happen to domestic, to domestic abuse and sexual assault survivors, they're all women. They don't trust men. You're going to be the only man in the room. And I said, oh, okay. I can do that. Um, then, uh, then he said, I want you to talk on today's topic. Uh, bearing fruit in tough times. And I was like, what's the catch? And he said, uh, well, you know, it's, it's going to be at Northview on a Sunday morning. I'm thinking, okay, you know, this will be a piece of cake. This is not even going to register on the chart. And he said, but you're going to use your testimony as an illustration. And I actually texted him back. It was, we kind of did this through text. And I texted him back and I said, no way, not going to happen, leave me alone. That really was honestly my response. And I said, there is no way you're going to get me on stage to talk about that. And the reason is, why this is so tough is because, first and foremost, I'm an introvert that really does not like talking about myself. I'll talk about other people's pain all day long, but I don't want to talk about my own pain. Um, I, I actually, you know, really kind of figure I lead a, a pretty boring life. I, I wake up, I eat breakfast, I go to work, I come home from work, I eat dinner, and I go to bed. So it's, I, I always wonder why people would be interested in my life, because... There's not much to it. Um, and there's only two things in life that terrify me. I, I'll pretty much hit pretty much anything head on. The only two things that terrify me, and nobody believes me when I say this, but they're absolutely honest. Speaking in front of a group absolutely just you know, terrifies me. The only thing worse than speaking in front of a group would be singing in front of a group. Those are the two things that is absolutely, and now nobody believes me, but you have to understand how much faith it takes to stand on this stage uh, on a Sunday morning. So and my wife can attest to that because I've been a nervous wreck all morning. But I've learned to trust God, and I've learned to trust Steve. So this isn't going to be a how I came to Jesus testimony. That part happened pretty early in life, and, and you know, I'll, 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 
we won't go into those deals this morning. But, but rather what Steve was interested in was a narrow slice of my life of, of going through some hard times and wrestling with that. How do you bear fruit when it seems like everything is caving in around you? And so that's what we're going to be focusing on um, for this topic. So let's go ahead and pray before we get started. Lord, I am not the only person in this room that has faced tough times. I, I know that I can say with confidence that every person in this room has gone through some tough issue. And some are, are unimaginable and, and others are, are maybe more tempered. And so, Lord, we need you to speak to us today because we know that there's pain in this world and we know we're going to face it. And uh, Lord, help show us how to walk through those tough times. Show us how to walk through uh, those valleys of darkness in our lives. And so we just uh, pray that you would open up our hearts to you this morning so that uh, we could just receive your word. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we, we really can't start this topic without looking at probably the verse that you can guess that we're going to start with, uh, because it's all about really what happens when life doesn't go the way I want it. That's pretty well a definition of tough times. Uh, I think my life is going to go a certain way. Suddenly it hooks a hard left-hand turn, and this isn't what I was bargaining for. And yes, you know, the Bible talks to us about this. And uh, I know that the, the writing's kind of small up there, uh, but this is from uh, the book of James, uh, starting in, uh, uh, in chapter, uh, or chapter 1, verse 2. And it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. By the way, this is my least favorite passage in the Bible right here. Uh, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its works, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now, the reason this is my least favorite Bible verse is because I have a different way in my heart how this should go. Uh, I think it should say, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because God is going to rescue you out of it, and you're not going to face it, right? I mean, that's kind of what we're hoping it would say, or, or because now that you're a Christian, there aren't going to be any bad times. This is going to be one big party. I mean, that's kind of what I want it to say, but that's not what it says. It says... Consider it joy when you face trials because going through those tough times will define who you are. And if you walk through them and you let God be the person that leads you, that will, as it says, it's going to produce perseverance. Perseverance will finish its work so you may be sure and complete and not lacking in anything. And I relate to this as a, somebody who for some strange reason, likes to go out and run for long distances of time. And I know that when I stand on the starting line of a marathon, uh, unless I've put through the hard work, I'm not going to have the pers per perseverance necessary. And life is no different. Now, growing up, I, uh, y you know, aspired to have a great career. And I, and I really, there was one thing that ever since I can remember, I always wanted to be growing up. Uh, and I'm sure there's probably a lot of kids that always wanted to be this when they were growing up. And I thought um, if I could, oh, I'm sorry, I, went, I, I got too, too ahead of myself. This is a great quote from Princess Bride. Uh, we all are going to face pain. And I love this quote. Life is pain, highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. That's absolutely the truth right there. If you haven't seen that movie, you've got to go watch it. Okay, uh, moving on. So uh, when I was growing up, there was one profession I wanted to do and I wanted to be. More than anything, I wanted to be a helicopter pilot. 
that is absolutely everything in my life was going to be geared and centered towards being a helicopter pilot. Never mind that at the time I had an eye condition, I only saw two-dimensionally, I had no depth perception, and I didn't have all my fingers. Didn't matter. I was going to be a helicopter pilot. I didn't think depth perception and a pilot had any issues with that, okay? Um, Life didn't work out that way. Uh, I ended up uh, in this profession. So uh, I ended up as a firefighter. That is uh, what I currently do. And um, uh, so it's, you know, kind of an interesting job uh, because on on occasion things catch fire and we go put them out and every now and then a car will tip over and we have to go push it back up and every now and then a plane will crash into a house and... And the media always shows up and they want to find out what we're doing. And, and that's one of my roles. I get to sit there and talk to the media. So if you've seen me on television, yes, that really is me. And it's because the media seems to be interested in, in, in what we do. But early in my career, I, the fire service has two branches. You've got fire suppression, the guys, you know, spraying, you know, water out of hoses and all stuff. And then you've got the medical branch, which is the paramedics. Uh, and in King County, if, if you want to be a paramedic, you've got to go through a very selective process. And, and, and if you actually succeed in that process, they're going to send you down and you get to spend a year with this man. Now, if you've never seen this man, he's kind of distorted a little bit in this picture. Um, uh, it, I, I, I can tell the people in the audience that know who this is because they probably just wet their pants. Um, <clears throat> this is the most terrified person in all of medicine right here. His name is Dr. Michael Kopis of Harborview. Uh, and don't let that shy little grin and the little, you know, grandpa uh, vest sweater uh, um, uh, distract you. He's absolutely terrifying. Uh, and as a paramedic student, you could go spend a year with this man. And, and if you survive, and I mean that quite literally, uh, and, and many people don't, uh, the program, then you get to be a paramedic, and then you go out and you, you practice medicine. That was the hardest year of my life, was studying under this man. But when I came out of it, I had developed the ability to endure hardship and tough times, because I lived them every day for that year. So... After eight years of uh, working in the fire service, working my way up through the ranks, uh, you know, finally getting up to the rank of lieutenant, and then making the decision, I'm going to go to paramedic school, and, and they're going to send me down there for a year. And I came out, and ta-da, I'm a paramedic. Uh, it took me eight years to achieve all that. And, and, and life was great. Life was going absolutely wonderful in the fire department. I couldn't have been happier. And, and, and as I'm there, you know, we spent a lot of time together, firefighters, the whole firehouse thing, and... and Guys kept coming up to me, and they would always ask me these very deep questions that had a lot to do with religion or God or whatever. And they would ask me questions like, I remember one time I'm sitting in, in you know, we're sitting in the fire station, there's all these, all these people sitting around, and one guy asked me, so does God see sin differently? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, if I take a candy bar from the store, that's stealing, that's sin. But if I kill somebody, that's murder, that's sin. But certainly, stealing a candy bar or killing somebody are, are, are way different in the level of, of, you know, how severe they are. Does God see that differently? Or is sin sin to him? And uh, like you could hear a pin drop and everybody's staring at me for my answer. And I'm like, gosh, it reminds me of being in front of junior high schoolers and trying to talk about sex with parents staring at me. Um, or they'd come to me and they'd say, my wife just left me. I, I don't know what to do. Uh, or they would come to me and they'd say, you know, I, I've got this real serious problem. I, I, I think you might be able to help me with it. 
And, and I remember real distinctively one, one guy, and I'm, we're backing into the base, 2 o'clock in the morning. We have been running calls all day long. I am exhausted. And I mean, I'm, I'm just about completely asleep anyway. It's all I can do to hopefully keep my eyes open long enough to find my way to my bunk room. And, and we park the truck, I put it in drive, and I turn off the ignition, and he says, can I ask you a question? Oh, I hope the question is, how long do I think I can make it to my bed? And we spent an hour and a half talking about deep, deep conflicted issues that he's been struggling with his whole life and and I, and I was the only one that he felt comfortable to talk to and I became known as the pastor of the fire department I mean there, that was the title it was like every even even the people don't believe in God or don't follow God whatever it was like yeah if you got a problem you go see him that's that's the pastor he will straighten you out um, okay great thanks guys so so I started to think if I'm the pastor of the fire department maybe I should really be pursuing full-time ministry. Maybe this whole, you know, firefighter thing is just kind of, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm always busy putting out fires and, you know, responding to tipped over cars and stuff like that. Maybe if I go into full-time ministry, I can really focus on truly helping people and sharing Christ's love. And so after nine years of serving as a, as a paramedic with the fire department, I left all that behind and I entered into full-time ministry. Uh, and, and I went to work as an associate pastor in a church, and uh, at that church, it was a, a great, great uh, um, experience. The church went from 70 people to over 800 in three years. In five years, we were over 1,000. During that time, I, I, I spent time working uh, there and, and saying, uh, serving as a project manager for a building outfit that uh, uh, built a 29,000-square-foot uh, building. Uh, we finished it ahead of schedule and under budget. And I was also responsible for raising the, uh, the, the capital investments to be able to pay for the whole thing. Things were great. I served on a, a, a great team. It was a growing team of leaders that believed in openness, transparency, honesty, and accountability. But then at one point, a question was asked. And they said, what's wrong with the ministry? We're having some problems. What's wrong with the ministry? Well, I, I'm a kind of person, I, I watch, I observe, I perceive. I, I just kind of take it all in. I'm kind of the guy that sits quiet in the corner and just kind of listens to what's going on. Well, one thing I missed was that someone was trying to undermine me because they wanted my position. So I, I, I didn't see that. But I also knew the answer to what was wrong with the ministry. And so I thought, well, I know a principle. And the principle is this. The quality of leadership is the ability to speak truth to authority. Meaning, if you're really a leader, even though you may not be the leader, it's one thing to speak truth to people that are below you. It's another thing to go to the person that's above you and speak truth to them because that's very risky. And so I went to my boss and I says, you know, I, 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 I think I know what's going on with the ministry and, and confronted, confronted him on some of those issues. And uh, as a result of speaking truth to authority, he invited me to leave the church. Probably a combination of the undermining and the person not liking what I was saying, they invited me to leave. Before I left, I was told these things. 
I was told I do not have what it takes to be in full-time ministry. I was told I do not have the right gifts for ministry. Not gifted for it. I was told I don't bear fruit. The pain of that comment was that three weeks earlier I had delivered a message to that church on pruning and bearing fruit. And it says, yeah, you're like that dead tree that doesn't bear fruit anymore. That's very painful words. I remember the timing perfectly. It was three o'clock on a Thursday. I was leaving for vacation. And they said to me, after those things, they said, enjoy your vacation. You can clean out your office when you get back. Okay, we'll do that. I was devastated. Within three days, I had secured a job with waste management. And I was collecting people's garbage. Now, there's nothing against garbage men or, or anything like that. It has nothing to do with it. But that's what I needed to do to support my family. So I had gone from being a lieutenant and a paramedic in the fire service, working as a very elite team of medical professionals, to driving around neighborhoods and picking up people's garbage. Now, I, I reverted back to kind of what I knew I could do. Um, uh, when you work for waste management, you're pretty much by yourself, except during training. They put you with another, you know, uh, you know person that you, this training you're showing how to do the job. And, and during my training, I, uh, there was three guys, and they, um, they were all having problems with their marriage. And so I was walking them through their marriage. I thought, you know, if I don't have what it takes to be a pastor, at least I can revert back to helping people in difficult times and sharing Christ's love. I can at least do that. Uh, and so I, I worked with them. And then I got a phone call from a, a, a friend I'd worked with for many, many years in the fire department. And he said, there's a position opening up in the fire department and you qualify for it. And I want you to apply because I think you'd be really good for it. It's right back in the department that I had left. So I showed up for the beginning of what was a two-day interview. Now, interviews for the fire departments are kind of like, a lot like a reality show. It's not just a, you know, here, you know, do you think you could do the job, an interview like that. No, no, this is like they give you tasks. You have to complete the task. They, they even have actors come in, will act out scenarios, and you got to try and, you know, sort it out and things like that. So it's very, very involved. And I called my wife after, like, you know, right away in the morning, and I said, don't get your hopes up. There are really, really qualified people here. Uh, there are people here that I, I, there's no way I can match them in their ability to do this job way better than I can. So I says, just kind of, we'll, we'll keep looking, it'll be okay, we'll keep moving on. So uh, I continued through the process, and I got to the final interview. The, the chief is there. there there's, I mean, there's like all these you know, big high fluent people. And I walked in there. And, and all through these two days, I'm just thinking, oh, they're just, there's something not, they, they say they want to achieve this with this position, but it's going about it all the wrong way. We really need to do it this way. But I'm not really not going to say that to them. I mean, I'm trying to get the job, you know. And, and, and I remember thinking, quality of leadership is the ability to speak truth to authority. So I went in the final uh, uh, interview and I said, you guys got it all wrong. <laughs> this is not 
how you set up for this position. If you want somebody to do this position, you guys are going about it completely backwards. You need to do it this way instead. This is how you march forward. I mean, I just laid it all out there, and, and they just sat straight. I did all the talking in the interview, and, and when it was over, they just kind of stared at me blankly and blinked a couple times and went, okay, thank you, you can go now. So I walked out and I thought, oh, that went great. <laughs> they hired me. I got the job. Uh, my job description was awesome. They threw out the old job description. They, they, they handed me a new job description. The job description said, develop the program. That's literally all this whole piece of paper. Your job, develop the program. Okay, <laughs> whatever that is. Um, but I was back. I was doing what I loved doing. I was back in the fire department. I was responding to fires. I was responding to tripped, uh, tipped over cars. Life was good again. Um, and, uh, and then our chief retired. And they brought in a new chief. And there had been some changes that were slowly going on at the governance board of the fire department. And they brought in a new chief. And it was kind of rocky right from the very start. And I reported directly to the chief. I was right, report right directly to, to the chief. And so uh, I, my job is kind of work with him. And, and, and I remember meeting with him and I says, you know, really my job reporting to you is to make you successful and to make you look good. That's, that's, my, that's my job, you know. And he was like, oh, I like that. That's great. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, you know. And a few more weeks go by of this rockiness and, and he calls me in his office and he says, you're not doing your job. Well, you know, why am I doing not doing your job? And he says, because things are horrible around here, things are falling apart, and it's not me, it's everybody else around me, and if you were doing your job, things wouldn't be so bad, so you, you need to get better at your job. And I thought to myself, leadership is speaking truth to authority. And so I said, well, chief, there are some problems with your leadership. And I walked him through his weaknesses as a leader. And he stared at me when I was finished. And he took his finger and he pointed at my chest and he said these words. He said, I don't want you. You are not needed. You are not wanted here. You're overpaid and you're unnecessary. Get out of my office. The only thing I had going for me was I was a public employee. He, you couldn't fire me without cause. Uh, but every day, he would walk by me in the hallway, he'd take his finger, he'd point at my chest, and he would say, you are not wanted, you are not needed, you are unnecessary. Every day. And I would smile. I'd say, thank you, chief. I will take that uh, into consideration. Um, have a nice day, and if you need anything, just let me know. Uh, every day. That was our routine. So he would, he would say those words to me. Um, and then it became clear that he wanted a number of us to go. See, I was part of a team of eight people that our, our job was to try and keep the fire department running. It was trying to like keep everything together. Uh, for whatever reason, and I won't go into it, the, the, this chief really was trying to destroy the fire department. Um, and, and our job of eight was to keep this going. Now, we were in his way, so we were the ones he was trying to get rid of. And it became quite ugly. Uh, all of our emails were monitored which I work for the government, I, I expect that. Our computers were monitored. What was really weird is we would have a meeting in a closed room 
And after that meeting, we'd be called in the chief's office and he'd start confronting us on the things that we had said in that closed room as if the rooms were bugged. We, we fully believed that he had some kind of listening devices. So we had to start meeting in restaurants, other places. Our phone records were being tracked. And so we actually developed, never, I always tell people, never mess with firefighters. They're, 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 they're trained and designed how to like sort things out, solve problems, and, and pretty much work around anything. Um, we actually developed a text messaging protocol to send and receive encrypted text messages that were untraceable. We did all of our communications via text message, everything. We would even sit in a meeting together and text message, sit there and respond so that nobody could listen in on it. We had a great lawyer that was very, very smart. He'd actually been a firefighter and a paramedic before and, uh, and went into law school after retirement because of having to deal with difficult administrations with his department. And he was very good at this. He says, just be patient. How hard it is to be patient when someone is actively pointing a finger in your chest and saying, you're needless. I don't want you. You're unnecessary. But we did. And I and the other eight continued to do the only thing we knew how to do. Because the entire department, the morale was in the basement. I mean, it was just, boy, if I had people lined up in front of my door before, it was every day. Everybody's just dying under these conditions. And I'm just, you know, working with people, encouraging them. I'm being a cheerleader. I'm counseling them. I'm helping them. Uh, I'm pastoring them. This is my flock. I'm pastoring them. Uh, and it was very difficult. Well, it all culminated when uh, the, the chief invited me and one other guy to a meeting. Just the two of us. We're just, just going to meet. Just come on in. Let's, let's get this resolved. Let's just get this figured out. And we thought, oh, that's a good sign. It's been going on for three years. We're thinking, okay, this will be, you know, just you and me, him. And it's kind of like, let's just get all the people out of the way that don't need to be there. Let's just get down there and solve this. Me and him walked into that meeting and the chief had assembled all of his hand-picked personal staff. These are people that the chief had hired over the last three years for their cruelty and their hatred of the fire department. We were being ambushed. That was pretty clear. We were walking into an ambush. He did it in a restaurant, uh, which was always odd to us that he would do this in a restaurant. But he did it in a restaurant so that that way that he could sit there and berate us, and there was, we pretty much just had to sit and take it, and that way we you know, weren't going to create a scene or like we would anyway. For an hour and 20 minutes, he yelled at us, he swore at us, he accused us, he did all sorts of things, and we just sat there and nodded and, and took it. And at the end of the minute, hour and 20 minutes, me and him got up, we walked out, we hit the front door, and as soon as we got out of the restaurant, we kind of half smirked at each other. And he asked me, he says, did you hear what the chief said in there? And I said, I did. We called our lawyer. And we said, if the chief said these words, what would that mean? And the lawyer said, that's it. I can't repeat to you in church what he said. I can't even repeat to you in mixed company what he said. Um, but what I can tell you is that he had said some very, very threatening language. He had used, um, uh, you know, some uh, racial and sexual. I mean, it was like this was the powder keg of all things you stay away from. Our lawyer sent a letter to the chief with a 
courtesy copy to the district attorney wanting to confirm that the chief in fact said those words and reminded him that there were witnesses and it was a public restaurant and there was probably people inside the restaurant that heard him as well. That meeting was the last time I ever saw the chief. I never saw him again after I walked out the doors of those restaurants because he knew his time was over and he literally, quite literally, fled the town. The uh, ordeal was over, but we're still changed by our trials. You see, I thought I'd gone through a difficult time in paramedic training. It was nothing compared to those three years of being the absolute worst. Uh, and I could go on with story after story of, of things that are even more harrowing, but again, they probably wouldn't be appropriate for a church setting. And there's still challenges. I still have doubts. You, you, you don't go through being told you don't cut it, you don't measure up, you're worthless, you're needless uh, every day without having problems. We have a new chief now. He's awesome. Our new chief is amazing. And, and our, our new chief uh, will come up to us and, uh, and he'll say things to us, which are still really strange for us to hear as a fire department, but he's trying. He says things like, good job. You, you did a really good job there. And I'm kind of like, okay. And, and he'll, he'll, he'll you know, look at a report and he'll say, this is a great report. Oh, okay, okay. Wow, that's weird. And again, my favorite movie being Princess Bride, this is what I think he's really saying to me. Uh, this is from the movie, good night, Wesley, good work, sleep well, I'll most likely kill you in the morning. <laughs> that's what I'm kind of waiting for. I'm like, uh, they, they, uh, they, they sent me to Denver not too long ago and I had to travel with the chief and on the plane I had to sit next to the chief and, and he asked me a question and, and I honestly don't remember the question was, but I remember the answer. Well, I says, I says, gosh, chief, I don't know. I've been kind of avoiding you ever since you took over as the chief. You know, I've, I, I kind of hide from you in the office and he looked at me and he's like, why would you do that? I said, well, I'm waiting for you to put your finger in my chest and tell me that I'm worthless and needless and need to go away. And he said, well, what chief would ever do that? The last one. (laughs) By the way, it was actually on that plane ride that the chief said to me, a quality of leadership is speaking truth to authority. And I said, yeah, two out of three times, that hasn't turned out real well for me. (laughs) Now, life didn't go as I imagined it. I don't fly helicopters. That'd be really cool if I did. Uh, I've endured difficult situations that I never imagined I'd have to go through. Uh, I still lead a pretty boring life. Um... But mine's not the only story in this room of having gone through tough times. And you might even be sitting there thinking that that doesn't even register compared to what I've gone through because if we went around this room and talked about difficult, difficult times, there are some people in here that have gone through or are going through immensely difficult trials. But let's go back to the original question, which is what happens when life doesn't go the way you want it? But I want to give you a new question. I want to give you this one. What if God has called you for such a time as this? What if the trial you're in 
is testing of your faith. We get that from James 1. Because the testing of it, by going through trials, we're going to come out different people. But what if God has called you for such a time as this? You see, there, there was fruit out of that three years. I had a, one, of the, one of the team of eight. He called me and he said, can I talk to you? Here we go again. Sure. <laughs> it can't be at the fire department. I'm like, oh, oh okay. Um, I, I thought we swept for bugs and they're not listening to us anymore, but um, where do you want to meet? And he's like, I, I don't care, but we, we got to meet somewhere. I said, well, why don't you come to my church that I attend and, and um, you know, we'll meet there. It's like, perfect. That'd be absolutely perfect. So we met right on the other side of that wall up there. And he said, it is time for me to give my life to the Lord. It is time for me to get right with my wife. And it is time for me to get rid of all of this hurt I have been carrying for years that I grew up with. Hurts from his parents, from his dad. And we sat up there in that room for two hours. We cried together. Uh, We spent time walking him through some of the things. And he is an absolutely different person today than he was prior to that. He's released. He's free. And what Steve said to me was, you were the right person at the right time. I know you didn't like going through that, but you were the right person, the right pastor for that group of people. And I never saw it that way. I just thought it was kind of an uncomfortable time. But have you ever suffered for doing the right thing? Have you ever endured hardship when you're actually just trying to do the right thing? You're trying to help situations and it blows up? Have you been taken out or undermined through no fault of your own? Seeing that the cards were stacked against you, you had no way of controlling it? Have you lost hope not knowing how things turn out? Or have you ever wondered, why would God let these things happen? Why does God put us through this? Why does God, ugh, why doesn't that passage say, consider it joy because he's going to rescue me out of it? Well, I want to close our time with five things that you can do to stay fruitful. I, I hate lists of like the top three things to do and life will be great or the top five things it's more than this but this is a good starting point number one don't get bitter it's so easy to get bitter i struggled with that so much in leaving full-time ministry i wanted to be bitter but i knew ah i can't go there Because the only thing bitterness does is destroy us. It doesn't resolve any problems. And that's a huge, huge issue with people. Not getting bitter. And such a difficult thing to wrestle with and to grapple with. But we can't get bitter. And then don't forget in the darkness what you learn in the light. Even John the Baptist struggled with this. John the Baptist, he baptized Jesus. He saw 
God descend like a dove. I mean, all this goes on. He's, he's there at the Jordan with Jesus. He sees everything. He's like, this is the one. I spent my whole life preparing the way for this person. And then years later, John's in prison and he sends the disciples to Jesus to ask him what question? Are you the one or should we expect another? So easy for us to, to forget during the good times, during the times of light in our life. And all of a sudden we find ourselves in a hard situation and we're just, you know, Eeyore. Ugh, life is horrible. God's never going to come to my rescue. So easy to go there. When in doubt, don't. That might seem like an odd one. Patience. I hate patience. I, <laughs> not a very patient person. Um, but if you are conflicted on what the right thing to, you know, it's like, oh, I, I don't know, I don't know. That's probably a good indication you need to stay where you're at and not make any hasty decisions. Oftentimes we want to get away from that pain so fast. We want to get out from underneath that pain so quickly. I don't like pain. It hurts, hence the definition of pain. Uh, and I want out. I want to be free. This is not comfortable. And we start trying to make hasty decisions to get out away from that. And God's saying, no, I'm trying to teach you something. I'm trying to build your perseverance. I'm trying to walk through this with you. But right now we need to stay here. And, and what our lawyer told us when we were going through three years of this difficult time was he says, you know, yeah, we could jump on this and that. And I even says, you know, the guy points his finger on my chest every single day and says these words. Isn't that bullying? Isn't that harassment? And he goes, yeah, you know, but the problem is you're just going to win that one battle. You're going to lose the war, though. You got to wait for something to win the war. We waited for three years until he finally said, aha, that's it. The battle's over. The war's over with those words. When in doubt, don't. Let, let, let trust in God's timing. That's the whole patience thing again. Ugh, I struggle with that. Have a posse. You got to have people around you. Do not go through tough times alone. And you have to open up to others. The saving grace we had was, it wasn't just me going through difficult times. There was eight of us. We were sharing the load. We were working with you. We were encouraging each other. When I walked out of those doors of, of us eight going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I was able to be filled enough to go to the other people in the department and say, come on, guys, stay with it. We're, we're still a fire department. We're still firefighters. We've still got to take care of the public. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I could do that because I had a posse behind me. I had people that were, that were with me, walking through with me. Don't go it alone. You need a posse that can keep you accountable and that can be around you. But most important of all, prayer. Prayer is absolutely being on your knees. I can remember times through all those situations of just crying out to God. Going through the Psalms. And boy, you can identify with the heartache of David in the Psalms when you're right there with him. Uh, and, and I look back now and I go, those weren't very fun times. But yet the times of being in the word and reading a Psalm of David where he's just crying out to God. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. Those are some of the sweetest times in the word I've ever had. But I never would have experienced that if I tried quickly to jump out of the pain. 
or didn't go through it. So prayer is a huge thing. Standing before the Lord, knowing it's okay to have arguments with God. I have arguments with God all the time. I, I still argue with him about the, the James 1 passage. God, couldn't we just... But prayer, having that relationship with him is everything. These aren't all the things. I mean, I just picked the top five. There's others of staying fruitful in, in difficult times. But if you are in a difficult time or when you face one in the future, because more are coming, it's called life. Like, like, uh, like the man in black said, life is pain, highness. Anyone that says different is just selling something. Uh, if we retreat back to these, prayer, being in God's word, I mean, I, I kind of, I, I know it doesn't say being in God's word, but that's uh, kind of the, I guess, the given I had. Choosing not to be bitter, remembering in the darkness what you learn in the light, having a posse around you, staying patient, letting God's timing. These will help you. Let's pray. Lord, going through tough times is something we know that we're going to um, have to endure. And yet, Lord, it oftentimes comes down to how we go through those or um, how we chose to respond. Lord, it's, it's my prayer for myself and for everybody in here that in difficult times we would lean into you. Um, and coming out of difficult times, we wouldn't be carrying the baggage that would set us up for failure for the next difficult time. Things like bitterness or, or, or hatred or anger or, or all the emotions that well up. Lord, that you would protect us from those taking root in our spirit, in our minds, and in our souls uh, that take us off track before we can even get fully back on track. Lord, help us to lean on you at all times, knowing that although it's necessary for us to go through difficult times, you are not leaving us, you are not forsaking us, but you're there with us. You are part of our posse and on that team. In your name we pray, amen.